Hey, this is Ken Art of Wake Up Carolina. Because we're in such demand, we decided to do a podcast. Well, actually, it's like an archive of a previously broadcast show on the radio. So it's not a podcast. Well, it is presented as a podcast. So invite people to join us for whatever it is you just said they can join us for. That's right. Enjoy, and it starts now. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, April the 8th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Mike's almost got a week under the fold. Did a good job getting accustomed, um, despite your irregular um, teaching practicing and and, uh, and tutoring practices. Irregular? Um, well, I mean, uh, you've had a, a touch of confusion here and there, uh, but not very often. There's, not there's, very there's a lot to learn. Uh you know how much I know about that board you both got, or both of you guys are manning this morning? I know how much you know about this board. So, so, so what do you think? You think that was intentional? I know 100% it was intentional. Defend yourself. Defend myself? Well, I mean, why, why do you believe that I intentionally have not okay, tried I'm, to digest any understanding of why I, or how to run the board or not? <laughs> well, let's, let's go back about 10 years before okay. we started this show. And the plan was that we would begin this radio show as one hour on one radio station and it was 8 to 9 a.m. And I said, okay. Now, I was not an, an on-air guy at that point. I'd moved from being an on-air to a, an executive. Been a big know. shot. Yeah, well, no, a big shot. I, I was doing the other work, the program. You can say that. I mean, we know that. No, not true. But anyway, I was The implication not, is he was a big shot, too big to be over the airwaves. Continue, Rip. <laughs> I, I, I was doing behind-the-scenes work exclusively, so I wasn't doing a daily on-air shift. So you were going to start this radio show. We met, we talked about it, and I said, hey, I'll design a format, and I'll come in there and run the board and get you comfortable with how this works, and I'll show you how all this works, and then I'll go back to my life where I get to wake up at a regular time, come into work at a regular time, and don't have to do a daily shift on the radio. And that was just under 10 years ago from right now. So, I mean, I'm convinced that, uh, I mean, later on I became convinced that uh, you agreed to all of that discussion. Oh, yeah, sounds good, sounds good, but you didn't have any intention of learning any of this. Uh, No, I didn't. (laughs) I'm level with you, I didn't. Yeah. I I got real intimidated by the board very early on when I saw these knobs and buttons and slides and all these lights and all these other things. And I just made my mind up then how to not – the the. the least, the less I know, the less I'm responsible for. Well, and and that's and, and that's, that was my grand strategy. I know that's very true because you could learn this. You could. I would imagine. Um, it, it does take away though from your ability to concentrate on what you're saying and talking the content. So it does work a lot better when you have you know a producer to be responsible for all that stuff. So you, you know, you do the content. You do majority of the talking, obviously. Uh, so, um, so the least you can do. Is, is run the board, right? I mean, is that what you're, once again, the implication is, right. um, if you're going to tag along, you, you need to be productive, right, right, and, well. and the board would be. Uh, real quick story, uh, I've not misled Rev about anything. We've been doing this about 10 years. I don't know there's a single time. I've embellished a lot um, <laughs> <laughs> over the airways. Well, you know. You've been subject to that embellishment, <laughs> but I've not misled Rev about anything. Um, he comes in one morning. Uh, early in this uh, 10 year journey, he comes in early one morning and he says, Hey, the station's off the air. And I don't know. Station's off the air. Um, I like it quiet when I get here in the morning. I get here before anybody, and I like it quiet to kind of, but I mean, I've got all my notes, I've got all my articles. I, I email myself. 
But that's the way I do this. I'll read an article at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll email that article to myself. When I get home in the evenings, I review those articles. I prioritize those articles. When I get here, I print those articles up or off. I've already got them marked up. I've got this little way I do things on my phone and on my laptop, or excuse me, my iPad. So, um, so I may read something this morning during the show that I email myself for a, a show to come. I mean, that's just the way I do it. It's just, um, I mean, it's, it's informal, but it's formal. I mean, I know it exactly works for you. what I mean, it works for me and I know exactly the way I catalog, uh, catalog and, and chronicle things. So, um, so I may be eating lunch today at 12 and come across an article on Politico that I think is a bit interesting. I'll email that to myself. So when I get home between seven and nine, I'll have, uh, sent myself 15 emails, maybe 20 emails. And, I, and I'll go through those and I'll go, well, that's stupid. I should have emailed that. That article's not interesting at all. Um, okay, this one is. This is a bit interesting. This ties into that. That ties into this. So I get here in the morning and I begin to kind of assimilate, uh, put together, you know, these um, these articles in a, in a way that I think could create an interesting conversation for that day. Uh, and I like it done in quiet. The radio stations always got radio plague in the background, whether it's music, talk, whatever. Doesn't matter. Sports. There's always music or, or something playing in the background uh, on our cluster of stations. That's what we do. So I get here, and um, and I don't like that. So I start looking at the board, and I think I saw Rev move this, and I think I saw Rev touch this, and I think I saw Rev turn this down. So I turned a couple of things, or maybe just one thing, um, and it turned the volume down. I mean, it did exactly what I intended for it to do, and it's quiet. So I'm good to go. Uh, Rev comes running in about 20 minutes later. Hey, man, the station's been off the air 15 minutes. <laughs> And for about a split second, I consider lying to him. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like, I don't know. And then I, and then I finally, and I guess in a moment of panic, I said, Rev, I pulled that slide all the way down. And he said, you can't do that, man. You can do the, it. The small knobs you could adjust because that's internal. Mm-hmm. But that, that slide, that's, that's controlling what they hear out there. And you can't. So for a single second, maybe multiple seconds, <laughs> I considered telling a big white lie. And saying somebody else did it, I mean that, that's not mine. Somebody else did it. Now, now we, I would have not believed that for one second, since you were like the only one here, and the slider does not turn itself down. So, well, and really, you got to be. It was kid like. You know, the kid says, um, yeah, "I didn't do it." Right. You know, well, you know, the kid did it, but the kid just, um, "I didn't do it." Right. In the old Eddie Murphy skit, when I, when he says something about who broke this or who broke that, and Eddie Murphy is playing. I mean, he plays so many characters. He's played a kid. The kid says. Well, I was running through that. I wasn't really running. You remember when you told us not to run? And the door on the refrigerator swung open. You won't believe how it swung open. You know, and it knocked this down. And I, I mean, there was a second that I was going to try apply some of the old Eddie Murphy strategy. But you're right. Slides don't slide themselves. And I, but, but, but if you, um, I, I mean, I guess you should give yourself a little bit credit because, you know, you said you had not been trained on running the control board. You didn't know how things work. But you you did need the sound to be down so you could study here in the control room and do your prep work. So, you know, you can give yourself credit for figuring out how to turn the sound down in the studio. The problem is you turned it down for everybody else that was listening as well. Correct. So. I did not turn it down internally. I turned it down externally. Um, I want <laughs> to give you I want to give you a statistic this morning that um that boggles my mind and staggers me. But I don't know what it means. I mean, I honestly have no clue what to make of this. But this is a, an, an interesting uh set of information you ready uh hold on one second let me get to here in my text i sent it to a couple of financially uh, minded friends of mine um last night here you go peter teal addressed uh, a crypto conference wednesday today's friday wednesday and he called um 
Warren Buffett, the 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 sociopathic grandpa from Omaha, and he called Jamie Diamond. He called a bunch of old farts. I mean, in essence, that's what he implied, talking about Diamond and Fink and Teal's Teal and Musk are at war with with um uh, the the construct of finance. I mean, they, they're they're cowboys, they're renegades. Musk has more than Teal, but they both have a lot. They're just outliers. They're they're not. They don't care what J.P. Morgan thinks of them or not. They don't care what Berkshire Hathaway thinks of them or not. They know that J.P. Morgan is a a tremendous economic and political force in America. They understand that Warren Buffett is a renowned financier and investor. They understand all of that, but they enjoy being um, the libertarian. Now, now Teal says he's an anarcho-capitalist, perpetually reconciling anarchy and capitalism. We've had a couple of conversations this week about that, but I've got two financially minded friends in my world that understand these things at a level that I don't. I mean, they're, they're bankers, they're investors, um, they're not developers, they're not really business guys, that they're more in the, the corner office financial mind. Um, but they understand some of these issues, and I always call them when I have a question. Now, I don't have a question, but I want to read this. And you can do with it whatever you choose. That's 610, that's 612 in the morning. Uh, this is pretty heavy lifting. But, but here's what Teal said at the crypto conference. And I, it's, I mean, I researched it a bit. I actually sent it to my buddy. And he said, yeah, that, he's right. I mean, he's crazy, but he's right. Because this guy of mine is a corner office financial guy who doesn't care much for Teal or Musk because they want to upset the apple cart. He may not have that corner office. If Teal and, um, and uh, Musk get their way, we may indeed go to crypto instead of um, the current and traditional um, currency we're using. So, so here's, the, um, here's what Teal says at the crypto conference that I find so interesting and so revealing. Today, all the gold in the world is worth $12 trillion, while global equities are worth $155 trillion. Let me say that again, because you guys are on the phone there. Um, Say it again. Today, all the gold in the world is worth $12 trillion while global equities are worth $155 trillion. In 1980, 40 years ago, Ronald Reagan would have been sworn in as an American president. I'll, I'll give you some, uh, I don't know, some uh, relation to timing. Um, in 1980, the ratio was one-to-one, with all the global equities having the same value as all the gold, and that being $2.5 trillion. So gold, the value of gold in the world today has gone from 2.5 trillion to 12 trillion. Are we having trouble over there? No trouble. Keep going. Okay. The um what are we <laughs> I'm trying to involve you in the conversation and um you're having a phone call with someone. Yeah, we had a caller who was asking some questions. Okay. So, sorry. Well, this is not a question and answer. I know, exactly. That's what I was mean, getting ready to tell it. We'll have to give Mike the uh, the tutorial That's on right. how to deal with that. Yeah. This is a call-in radio show. This is not a um, a place you call to get uh, advice on, uh, hey, man, I'm late, I'm late on my payment. Can you ask me what I did? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I got my kid. Is there a shorter way to get to school? I mean, this is not the helpline, okay? I mean, with all due respect, with all due re- and I mean this, with all due respect, this is not a place you call to have a conversation. This is a place you call to say, I want to go on the air. Exactly. It's a call-in radio show. And we've tried to be, in, in particular, Cato, the, the, the chummy soul that he is. <laughs> he tries to give the majority of you the benefit of the doubt. 
This is not a place for you to call and say, hey, can, can you talk about this? Do you know about that? Can we be concerned about this? We have a whiner line. You're welcome to do that. Uh, we have, a, if I'm not mistaken, is it a Telkin line? I mean, do we have a Telkin? Yeah, well, well, the Telkin line actually rings to this. It's the Telkin phone number that okay. rings to our okay. on-air call. Well, I may stand corrected yeah. then. So, so there is a Telkin. <laughs> well, that's tailkin. kind of the joke. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the joke. But uh, anyway, uh, so, so let's go back to this. Okay, go on. I, want, um, I, I got the I mean thing that, about the 12 well, I mean, I, And trillion. I mean this with all due respect. I mean, to me, you're disrespectful of the show when you call in and it just, you know, talk about whatever it is you choose to talk about for five or six minutes because people can't do the job that they're here to do. They're not here to listen to you complain or talk or be concerned about whatever. They're here to answer a phone. You want to go on the air or not? Yeah. If you don't want to go on the air, hey, let's do this. Let, let's lay down the law right now. You ready? Do it. It's 620 Friday morning. If you don't want to go on the air, don't call. Right. I mean, let's make. I mean, let's don't complicate this. If you don't want to go on the air, don't. Go. I'm not aggravated. I'm having a good day, having a great day. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to really enjoy today. That's why we're doing an abbreviated show this morning. We're out of here at eight live and in living color. But if you don't want to go on the air, don't call the show. Right. It's a call-in radio show. Can I get a second of that motion? Absolutely. All in favor, raise their hand. That's three zero. My man's here. Been here a week. He already understands that the significance of that. So, so from now on. To, to our loyal and, and, and listeners that we have so much respect and endearment for, if you don't want to go on the air, don't call the show. And if you have something else you need to talk about and ask a question about, because I think this is related to the upcoming uh, debate uh, that they were trying to, I'm not sure what they, that's why I was getting ready to okay. talk to them, but they hung up. But anyway, um, so that can we, call after the show and we can you know, help out. Fair enough. During the Fair show, enough. that number is exclusively to go on the air. Let me say this one more time. With all due respect. Absolutely. And I mean that You know all, we love you, right? Sure we do. And we understand um, you want to know certain things, but that's not what we're here to do. We're here to, to host your calls, take your calls, put them over the airwaves, and let someone agree or disagree and hope stimulate uh, and provoke some sort of conversation. So today, all the gold in the world is worth $12 trillion. Global equities are worth $155 trillion. In 1980, the ratio was one-to-one with all the gold in the world and all the global equities in the world having the same value of $2.5 trillion. That quote is attributed to Peter Thiel, who spoke at a crypto conference. That is an absurd number. Wow. I mean, that, that is a mind-boggling number. Um and I asked my friend, the corner office financial friend I have, who doesn't, once again, he's not a developer, not a builder, not a business guy. He's just one of these number crunchers who's very good at, um, I wouldn't say global finance. He's, under, he's, he's very understanding of the intricacies of international finance and the Federal Reserve and all these other. And I said, well, what does that mean? I mean, what, you know, the correlation of gold to equities um, in 1980 being one-to-one -one, and today being so out of proportion. What does that mean? He said, well, you know what it means. You want me to answer the question? You know the answer to it. I said, what? He said, uh, the favor to Wall Street. I mean, the, the, the equity investors, the equity managers, the fund managers, the hedge funds, those that make a living off the, the, the profits and proceeds of Wall Street. I mean, that's exactly what it means. Global equities is so inflated and propped up by an activist fed is absurd and a lot of a lot of people say well i mean i'm not getting off the party bus i mean it is a party bus um the market was six thousand when the world blew up in 2008 and it's touched thirty five thousand. i mean does the, does the economy feel six times better today than it did in 2008 
Let me say that again. The market was about 6,000. The value of the equity markets in America when the world blew up in 2008 was about 6,000. In 14 years, it's about 35,000. Does the economy feel six times better today than it did in 2008? If you're a Wall Streeter, it does. I mean, if you're an investor in the in the equity markets, it does. Because you made, I mean, if you bought in at 6,000, I mean, your portfolio is worth, I mean, it, it's, it's a farce. It's fantasy land. It's la-la land. Um, nobody believes this is the reality. Now, I don't know, and Teal even said this. Teal said, I don't know if gold is a better investment in Bitcoin. I mean, he believes in Bitcoin. I mean, he just does. He, he's an advocate. He's a big purchaser. He, he, he holds a lot of Bitcoin. So there's probably some um, some self-preservation involved in his um, in his decision-making and his pontifications. But, but Teal was asked um, in the Q&A at the Bitcoin conference in Orlando, I think, um, is gold a better investment than crypto? And, and he honestly said, I don't know. I mean, apparently, you know, obviously I think crypto is, and I think I can argue, but but I've got, you know, people that I have a lot of respect for that believe gold's a better investment, but they're both better than the dollar. He said, I mean, there, there is no denying that. I mean, we have, a, I mean, we have just abused the right to be the global currency of the world, the preferred currency of the world to a point. And here's the struggle that I have. Um, I don't have a grandkid yet, but my grandkids will suffer the consequences of our, I'm talking about baby boomers and, and peers of mine, our irresponsibility. You know, I, I got friends who kind of laugh at that. I mean, if I said, hey, man, did you know in 1980 all the gold in the world and all the global equities in the world were worth about the same and they were $2.5 trillion, and today the gold is about $12 trillion and the global equities are $155 trillion. I got friends who would say, well, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, okay, it's the way it is until it ain't. And I can assure you guys, these numbers are not going to work forever. And when you hold your grandbaby, you will not be here when that grandchild turns 50. I mean, odds are, you know, I mean, maybe you will. I don't know what sort of age. Um, I probably won't. I probably won't be here. I'm 58. Um, if my one of my kids had a baby today, you know, I'd be uh, 108 by the time, still be going to the gym, by the time, um, <laughs> you know, my grandkid got 50. But but one that there's going to be a generation at some point in time that 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 mumble things under their breath and yell things out loud about their grandparents that we should be ashamed that we've even allowed them to get to that place and we've allowed ourselves to get to this place. So when you chuckle and say, "Hey man, it's just a party train. It's the way it is. You know, I'm not getting all for you getting all. I'm gonna ride this thing as long as I can ride it. You know, there there are a couple of fundamentals out there. There is nothing about this that makes any sense at all." It's unsustainable, it's reckless, it's careless, it's, um, to me, it's unsympathetic. I mean, if you love your grandkid and you're a part of the mindset that believes we can continue down this road and this track, and this is not partisan, I mean, this is Republican and, I mean, this is very bipartisan. Republicans are spending money we don't have, Democrats are spending money we don't have, and until kind of, um, I mean, he, he says these things in a way that you, whoa, whoa. I mean, this is not a, this is a guy, uh, highly acclaimed, highly accomplished, understands this world of finance a lot better than 99.9% of Americans. And I am somewhat of a teal acolyte. I confess to that. Um, two people I tend to have the most bromance with is J.D. Vance and, and Peter Teal. If J.D. Vance says something, I probably read it. If Peter Teal said something, I probably read it. But when Teal says that, it really puts into proportion how irresponsible, reckless, careless, and dangerous we are with the dollar.
I mean, it really does. I mean, we, we are we are un we are the most reckless, careless, dangerous people on this planet when it comes to monetary policy. Shame on all of us, myself included. Take a break. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. So Teal is in Miami or Orlando, one of those Florida cities, um, and he says uh, a lot of things. I mean, he declared war. He called um, Buffett a uh, the sociopathic grandfather from um, from uh, Omaha. He calls um, uh, Jamie Dimon, one of those New York City banker boys. Let me make sure. Yeah, a sort of sociopathic grandpa from Omaha. Uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, the rest of the New York City banker boys. He took on BlackRock's uh, CEO Larry Fink. Um, but but then a tweet comes out uh, by Eric Weinstein. He's a managing partner at Teal Capital. Peter Teal making a clear declaration in Miami. The financial gerontocracy, old people, has declared war on Bitcoin as a revolutionary youth movement for good reason. Is this thus time the revolutionary youth should understand their enemies and return fire. I have no idea what that means. I mean, what, what does that mean? Bitcoin is a youth movement. Is, is Bitcoin a cultural? I mean, are we in for a uh, an economic war, a political war, a cultural war? Um, is it going to include the currency of choice? I mean, are we going to get to a place? I mean, I think it's understood and a given that people like Buffett, Fink, and Diamond, they control a world denominated by dollars, Right. I mean, they, they sure. you know, they have a lot of dollars and um, they control the flow of dollars. You, you and I would probably have no idea the sort of influence that Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett and Larry Fink have on who invests where and, and what sort of um, what sort of mindset is out there uh, permeating or percolating amongst these people that decide, you know, where we allocate enormous amounts of resources going back to the number. And this is what Teal began with um, in, in 1980. The value of gold and the value of global equities was about the same at two and a half trillion dollars. Today, gold is twelve trillion. Global equities is one hundred and fifty-five trillion. That's good for Fink. That's good for Buffett. That's good for um, Jamie Dimon. I mean, they have a, a vested interest in how well the global equity markets do. But is it good for us? I mean, are we destroying the value of the dollar or are we debasing the dollar? Are we, are, are we, are we, I mean, are we, are we killing our democracy? I mean, in all honesty, I believe the only thing this kept us from falling is the, um, the demand for the dollar. The fact that the dollar still has value around the world. We're almost like, um, we screwed it up, but not as bad as Europe has, you know, we, we're, we're a little bigger economy or a much bigger economy than the European union nations individually. We're even bigger than they are collectively. Um, but, but I still think what we're doing is careless and reckless and irresponsible. Um, and when Teal says, uh, and maybe he's doing this somewhat of, as a provocateur, but when he says, you know, you got gold in one hand, you got crypto with the other, I'm not sure which I'd rather have, but I'd take both over the dollar. In fact, when he walks on stage, you know what he did? He began to tear up $100 bills and just kind of throw them in the crowd. Oh, wow. Now a couple of hundred bucks to Peter Teal or, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 bucks to Peter Teal. I mean, let's hypothetically say at a $10,000 stack of $100 bills, in the grand scheme of things, when you're a multi-billionaire, so what? I mean, you can do things in the name of um, sensationalism or the optics. I don't understand enough about crypto. I would love, maybe it bore you to death, but I'd love to have somebody at a um, that has the ability to explain crypto in a way that crypto for dummies what would be what the segment would be called. Well, I would like to learn a lot about that. But, I mean, you've got to, we, we've all got to agree, Ref, to some degree that we're losing faith in the dollar. 
I'm going to have as much faith in the dollar today as you did. Um, I mean, do you think about how much faith you have in the dollar or not? I don't really think about it, but when you say and, and give that statistic that Teal talked about, it makes me ask this question. And again, I don't have a deep understanding, but here's what I think. You talk about the, the difference between the tw- uh, $12 trillion in gold versus $150 trillion in equities. What comes to my mind is, okay, what's what's backing up the equity value? You know, nothing. Hope and dreams. dreams. Yeah, hopes and dreams. I mean, that's all this backing up the dollar. And when Teal tears those dollars up and throws them in the crowd, that's exactly, I mean, your dollar is not worth much today as it was last year. But but here's then the question, because to me, cryptocurrency has even less to, quote, back it up. Just, uh, again, I don't understand it. I've argued this with with people who are more ambitious about crypto than I am. Um, They believe it is the way forward. Once again, I don't understand this. To me, crypto, I'll give an example. If I buy a farm, let's say I have enough money and I go buy a farm. That is a producing asset, right? I mean, that farm, while I own the farm, I may buy the farm, I may buy the land for $100,000 and I may sell it for $90,000, I may sell it for $120,000. I don't know, it may have been a good investment or a bad investment, but it's a cash producing asset. An apartment complex is a cash producing asset. I I may pay too much for the apartment complex. I may pay not enough. I may get a good deal on the farm. I may have gotten screwed on the purchasing of the farm, but it generates cash. There's something there. When Rev comes to me and says, hey, do you own that farm? Yeah, I want to buy that farm. Um, I'll give you 90000 Rev, I paid a hundred. Yeah, but I'll give you ninety. So, so we haggle that there's, a, there's an intrinsic value there. What I've never understood about crypto, it appears to me that the only value that I understand, and once again, I have a very elementary understanding of this, the only value in, in crypto, as far as I'm concerned, is I'm excited enough to buy it for $100. I've got to find somebody more excited than I am to buy it for $110. And then that person's got to find somebody more excited about it than he is to pay $120. So the value is in um, the excitement? how much the excitement is and what sort of optimism. See, I just don't understand. I, mean, I don't think any, well, I mean, Teal does. And um, CP does. Remember, we did, got the guy that, um, oh, yeah. you know, the, the Indian investor that owns the um, Golden State Warriors, I think. There you go. Say it again. Holly Hapatia. You Sh- did it Sh- real well. Shama yeah. Holly Hapatia. Yeah, Shaka Khan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. <laughs> we could sing this morning yeah. on a Friday morning. 843-661-0937 is our number. So, yes, but I don't understand crypto. I don't understand gold. I mean, I, I joke around with gold. So what are we going to do? Go back to the days of Josie Wales? When someone says um, to the to the merchant deal, uh, the merchant at the the general store, give me a bag of flour, a little sugar, some grits, and some uh, some beef jerky, and you pull out two gold coins. I mean, that, yeah, there's still currency. I mean, I would imagine we could go back to that. The the point I'm trying to make is, the dollar is doomed. I mean, I'm convinced of that. I don't know where we go from the dollar, but we're we're doing nothing but continuing to obliterate and destroy the value and really rev the aura of the dollar. I mean, the dollar has a, a global aura about it. I mean, it's it's so respected and revered. Um, the petrodollar, Saudi but, but Arabia. When you, when you say things like the dollar is doomed, I mean, what are you How saying? How is it not doomed? How is the dollar not doomed? Well, I mean, I we're, we're printing, we're printed $6 trillion out of thin air. I mean, we, we, I mean about, just think of the way our government operates, Rev. Our government will appropriate money today or tomorrow or Monday that they don't have. 
They'll fund a program that maybe we need, maybe we don't. When they appropriate the money, they don't have the money. They issue debt. The Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve prints money out of thin air to buy the debt. I mean, that's our financial model. And, and people are questioning the, the, the crypto world. Or, or, you know, should we go back to the gold standard? I mean, imagine that. We're running the most powerful country on this planet on government-appropriating funds to, 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 I don't know, to, to create these wonderful programs of which we've become so accustomed to. They don't have the money, so they can't appropriate. The Fed, they issue debt. The Fed buys the debt, not with money they got in the bank, but with money they have the ability to print out of thin How can you be bullish on the dollar? How can you not consider crypto a reasonable alternative? Let's go to the phone. Here's Larry in Florence. Morning, Larry. Good morning. So when you hold a $5 bill in your hand, do you say to yourself, oh, I have an investment in my hand? No. 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 You have a currency. You have a currency in your hand, right? Correct. And what a dollar is, what currency really is when you break it all down, is the value of your time, the value of your work, the value of your brain, the value of your productivity, Right. Correct. What you can earn. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you're thinking of crypto as an investment. Crypto is a currency, and it's going to be delineated the same way you think of that dollar. How many of these do I need to have to trade my hard-earned time for, or my, you know, or my other monies, or what would I sell an asset for and turn it into currency that I can then turn and buy another asset, or buy a good, or buy a service with? So the value of cryptocurrency going up and down is not really investment value it's while people start to think about well how much does it need to be worth in order for me to be willing to use it to give up i'm risking my time i'm, I'm going out i might work all day to buy some cryptocurrency and then like I say it could be worth nothing so i've got to think about it in terms of what it's worth in my time and i would ask you in terms of the dollar gold or crypto What's backing any of them? It's just the belief of the people that are using them that people will accept them. That's it. Because what can you do with gold? Make jewelry? I mean, you can, you know, gold has a commodity value just like oil does because you can use it in the, you know, technological markets to create, you know, computer chips and other things. But we're never going to start trading gold coins because there's nothing behind it. It's a it's a commodity. I, honestly, we would you know if if you could barter, it'd be better to pay for things with oil. It's actually got a use and a value, mm -hmm. but we can't. But but to think about Bitcoin or Ethereum or something as an investment, I think is the wrong way to look at it. Other than to say, it's a hedge against the possible collapse of the dollar. That if one day I show up at the gas station and they say, "I'm sorry, we don't take dollars here," what will I pay them with? What will it be? Will it be gold? Will it be silver? Will it be a form of electronic currency? <clears throat> and the other thing is, cryptocurrency is a solution to a problem that is still on the horizon, which is the digital Fed dollar. And don't you, don't you doubt for a minute that what the Fed would like to do is destroy the banking system, and all of us have an account at the Fed with digital currency that they control. And then the government can say, you know what? You've had enough cheeseburgers this week, Ken. Your digital currency doesn't work to buy a cheeseburger and cut you off. And if you don't think that they're scheming that up, go Google it. The Fed dollar, the electronic dollar, is already here because they know they've made a mess of the paper dollar. So 
Well, Larry, that, so that's what that, a, a lot of the content of Teal's speech was about that. He believes that there's a federal there's, there's going to be a federalized way you get pay and they account for your money. And I mean, I, you know, buy a cheeseburger, buy a dry. I don't know about any of that. But but Teal. So let me ask you this, Larry. It's obvious you studied some of this stuff. So are Teal and Musk, I mean, they, they'd probably be the two most celebrated figures advocating for crypto. And, you know, are, are they advocating to replace the dollar? compete with the dollar i mean in, in contrast of the dollar what do if teal and musk have their way and they beat jamie diamond and warren buffett and larry fink on you know the um the exchange currency what what percentage of economic activity in 20 years are we conducting via cryptocurrency all of it interesting very interesting. So it's kind of a zero-sum game, Larry. I mean, it's a direct competitor and a potential replacement for the currency we're using today. Yes, and 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 all of and it's going to be. There's going to be multiple currencies that maybe have multiple uses, and and some of it will come down to the strength of the ledger and the blockchain behind it, and how it how many transactions can it handle, uh, you know, and how much uh, electricity does it burn. That's why people don't like Bitcoin. It's the granddaddy, but it's a little inefficient uh, in terms of how much electricity it takes. Some of the newer coins don't don't take the electricity that, that Bitcoin takes. So it's it's going to work itself out. And the, the thing would be, it's just, you know, it'll be currency swap at some point. We'll realize which one is going to be the dominant one and we'll be willing to trade our labor for it. That's really what it comes down to is what are you going to be willing to trade your labor for? So who who governs? Gonna, uh, but but stick with me for a second because you know more about the who sure. governs the, the the allocation of Bitcoin. Who decides how much Bitcoin there is out there for us to fight over and and and, and try to you know be productive and and be paid in. In a sense, it's already been decided. There is a finite amount of Bitcoin, but you can continue to divide it into smaller and smaller denominations. One day, you know, I, you might buy a house with one-tenth of one Bitcoin, um, that that's not an issue. It's only when you think about it in terms of dollars, you'd need more and more dollars. Uh, obviously, if, if Bitcoin were to be able to buy more and more, you would just use less and less of it. So, you know, where, where we'd say, I remember when you could buy a hot dog for a nickel. Well, that's, you know, one-twentieth of a dollar, right? But we don't say it that way. Bitcoin doesn't have nickels and dimes. It just gets broken into ever, ever smaller pieces. Interesting. Last question. I, I, I got a question, Larry, because you mentioned the electricity. Yeah. It takes electricity to, to generate or, or transact Bitcoin. Tell me, I've just never understood why and what what, what role. Beside, I understand computing power and stuff like that, but why is it this massive electricity draw? Because it takes so you have to have a large number of people to uh, verify your transaction and agree that that money exists out there in the electronic ledger. And the way that they verify that is by doing a very, very complex math problem that takes a lot of computing power. Wow. And whoever is the first number of people who do it, they verify that, that, that you have the money you say you have. Um, and it's not just one, one bank with a million ledgers you know, or, or a million banks with the same ledger, I should say. You know, Wachovia or Bank of America's got, a, you know, 100,000 branches, but they all have one book. If if your book is says you have $100,000, that one book says you have $100,000, then every bank sings along. The difference is almost reversed with blockchain is if 100,000 people don't say you've got $100,000, you don't. Mm. 
So you can't go monkeying with the books. There's no digital hacking. There's no fraud, or at least not to the extent that you can do in the banking world. Um, it's, a, it's a much safer way of verifying that you have what you say you have. Okay, we got to get out of here, but i got to ask you this. So, so 20 years from now, would you rather have a million dollars in Bitcoin or a million dollars in cash? 20 years? 20 years. Oh, boy. 50, if I had to pick one, I guess I, I pick Bitcoin if you're giving it to me. But I would probably end up turning it into some other currency by then. I think Bitcoin will sunset. We'll be using something like that, but it might not be that. Interesting. But it'll be digital. Yes. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. God knows more than I know. Uh, Larry and I have texted yeah. a little bit about this, and he is far more informed on that than I am. This is so interesting to me what we've done to the dollar. Back in a minute. What Teal is basically arguing is that, I mean, he called three people by name, Fink, Buffett, and Diamond. I mean, there, 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 are, there are many others. I mean, there, there aren't millions of others, but there are thousands of others, probably not the level of Diamond, who runs J.P. Morgan, Fink, who runs BlackRock, and, uh, and Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett. But he's basically arguing or accusing in some way um, these finance moguls of facilitating a system that creates political bias against cryptocurrency. Now, he goes on to say the central banks are bankrupt. I mean, who can't believe that? I mean, if you've got one ah, fundamental understanding, if you've got any fundamental understanding of the economy and currency and the way we've abused those privileges, the central banks are bankrupt. Now, I don't know that we are at the end of a, uh, a kind, of, kind of a fiat money regime. Till does. He says that. Um, and I guess he believes that crypto, I mean, he's bullish on, on uh, Bitcoin. Um, he believes that is probably the ultimate alternative to the entire traditional financial system of America. Um, that's pretty bizarre. I mean, that gets out there. And I guess, you know, we're sitting here. I mean, if you're Buffett, Diamond, and Fink, the last thing you want is things not to be valued in the dollar. Why? Because you got an ass of them. <laughs> I mean, you've got a lot of them. <laughs> that's a lot. 843-661-0937. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. I'm going to spend a good bit of the weekend putting together what I think will be an accurate accounting of the Hunter Biden saga, the story. Um, when the news broke, what do we know now? Where do we go from here? But I'm going to go back to that. We, we, we've, we've waxed philosophically here for the last couple of days um, about Jefferson and Locke and cryptocurrency. And uh, in other words, we're, we're talking politics is, is a very abstract art i mean it's not exact i mean it's not i do this every time and this happens every time in my world of building truck beds i mean i th th there was a predictability about it and it was very defined it was very tangible uh easily to identify success or failure we sold 10 beds we sold six politics is very different so here's the question i'll pose to our listeners and rev you can i can start with you um would you agree to some degree that peter teal Elon Musk and the Trump voter have something in common, and that something in common is to change the way, I don't want to say obliterate, that's probably too strong a word, but to fundamentally um, reassess and reposition what economic, political, and cultural normalcy is. Is that, is that, I mean, whether the Trump voter knows it or not, a lot of their sentiment, a lot of their motivation was, I don't like the way things are. Yeah. Something's got to change. I don't think my government is listening to me, is okay. hearing me, okay. cares about me or whatever. But doesn't crypto play into that? 
But I understand. Yeah. I mean, very few people understand. Because it's away, it's away from government. I mean, sure. it's, it's not. It's not the Federal Reserve. It's not legal tender with the United States seal on it, right? So, so when Teal says these things about crypto, isn't he? I mean, obviously he's brighter than the majority of Trump voters, myself included. Uh, don't be anybody out there be insulted. The guy made sixteen hundred on his SAT. Wanted to make sure that wasn't a fluke. Took it again. Made sixteen hundred again. Graduated top of his class at Stanford and then Stanford Law. I mean, he's he's a brilliant man. I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, Musk is a brilliant man. It's interesting. The Trump voter, myself included, just wanted something different, man. I'm tired of government doing this, and I'm tired of government doing that, and I'm tired of government abusing the privileges we've entrusted uh, them for. Uh, Jeff and I had an agreement yesterday. We normally disagree. Jeff and I agreed. It's not the form of government that is deeply flawed. The Constitution is still, uh, you know, a pr- pretty significant and a timeless document. But it's the plutocracy. It's the money. It's the ancillary forces. It's all these other things that come into play. Um, so we wanted that change. The Trump voter wasn't sure what they wanted. They just didn't want what was. Mm-hmm. They wanted something different. They're tired of, um, I mean, I don't, I don't remember a Trump voter ever saying, I think the, the, the country is a plutocracy and I want to change it back to the original intent of the Constitution and the founders. I mean, they, 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 they inferred that, but nobody articulated that verbatim. Um, Till, Till basically says things in a, in a more complicated way, but, but, he, but he, he articulates the essence of the Trump movement. I mean, there's a reason Teal was for Trump. He thought Trump was a change agent. And when you think about it, so, so the majority of Trump voters just want the government to do what they're supposed to do. Follow the Constitution, um, constrain itself, don't spend money you don't have, uh, look after the people that pay the bills, um, to 10,000 people in the field. Nobody of that 10,000 people in the field uh, probably pondered whether we should colonize Mars or whether we should figure out a way to get somebody on the Twitter board, or whether we should try to um, confront Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, and Larry Fink about the realities of the dollar. But we're all on the same team, and the team is obliterating the economic and political norms. Your own Teal's team, whether you believe it or not. Your own Musk team, whether you believe it or not. What, what is the one thing Republicans complain about? Censorship. We're not being treated fairly in the media. Uh, why is Musk on the board at Twitter? I mean, we believe unless we're being misled and he's a big liar. I mean, we're believing that his motivation is um, he doesn't like censorship. And it really, I mean, it, it's kind of a convergence of this Silicon Valley libertarianism, almost anarchy, and the rank-and-file Trump voter. I mean, they, they, we are um, kindred spirits. We are friendly warriors. Whether we, whether we believe we have anything in common with Elon Musk and Peter Thiel or not, we do. <laughs> They have one thing we don't. They got billions of bucks, and none of us do. Uh, maybe somebody out there does. I don't know of anybody uh, in my listening audience that is a billionaire. Well, I do. I know one. Um, ain't listening. Uh, <laughs> I can assure you that. But anyway, um, <laughs> but but anyway, um, does that make sense? I mean, we are well, and it, it, but it is kind of hard to wrap your arms around. It does make sense when you explain it like that. But but does the normal person, the normal citizen, believe that they have much in common with? musk and teal we don't but we have something in common right that, that's my point we don't like the status quo we don't like business as usual we don't like to be told that this is the way things are this is the way they'll always be um that's why i'm inspired when, when musk does something like buy 9.2 percent of twitter and get on the twitter board i can't do that can you 
I mean, I think Twitter censors. I think Twitter unfairly treats conservative voices, but there's nothing I can do about it. I can yell and scream. You know what they'll do? Censor me. Right. You know, I think they've abused the dollar. I mean, I think I think the dollar will eventually be worthless or worth far away. I mean, we know it's worth far less today than it was, um, you know, a year ago, much less 10 or 15 years ago. And when you argue, but I can't do anything about that. I can't host a crypto conference and convince, you know, thousands of people to pay however much money and hear me speak about, you know, obliterating the normal seas. And I mean, who's going to who's going to call Warren Buffett the lovable grand, the lovable oracle from Omaha? Who's going to call Buffett a sociopathic grandpa? Peter Thiel. I mean, who's going to who's going to buy nine point two percent of uh, of Twitter? Elon Musk. And and I've argued, and you guys have heard me argue extensively about you know these guys being fundamental. I mean, they're elemental in this movement. They're going to have to be there. That we don't have the ability in a, in, a, in a political world dominated by economic forces. We don't have. Unless we all agree to the plan, you know what the plan is, 50 million of us give 20 bucks a year. I mean, then we're real. we got a billion bucks. I mean, we can't buy our way on the Twitter board, but we got enough money to influence. These guys can do it individually. I mean, Teal can shake the financial market at its core by his intellect and his financial horsepower. And I mean, the fact that he's got kind of a, um, both of these guys, I think you would agree, I'm probably more understanding of this than you are because I've read a lot about it. Musk and Teal or kind of sort of Pied Pipers. I mean, they have this um, this loyal um, following. Teal has it uh, because of the way he addresses the financial climate in America. Musk has it um, not just because he's trying to colonize Mars, but he is um, he's, he's kind of considered one of these innovative entrepreneurs with a big libertarian streak about him. And um, he wants to innovate and disrupt. And, and, and the Trump voter, there's a better word. There, there's a better word. The disruption. That's what we have in common. We Trump voters, we America firsters, we want to disrupt the political um, national order. I would say the world order, but we can't do that. We're not global voters. Uh, maybe one day, but yet <laughs> we're still um, we're voters. We're, we're 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 nationalist voters of a sovereign nation. We may lose that right if mm, um we don't want to if the globalists continue to get their their way. But but no, I mean th th the best word is disrupt. Teal wants to disrupt the financial markets. Musk wants to disrupt. Um, the, the, I mean, the, the previously, uh, space exploration and the auto industry, um, now social media. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, these guys, the, the similarity or common trait or characteristic we have with a Musk or a Teal, we, we have a burning desire for things to be disrupted. Do you want the, the political orthodoxies to be disrupted, Rev? I do. Sure you do. Of course. Um, and, and the majority of people listening to, to my voice want this to happen. And um, so, so when somebody said, why is a conservative radio show in South Carolina talk so much about Peter Thiel and Elon Musk? Because they're pivotal. They're essential. Once again, you don't have enough money to take on those people. I don't have enough money to take on those people, but there are some people on our team that do. And while we collectively um, say these things and vote these ways, these guys are doing, I don't want to say some of the heavy lifting, some of the work we can't do. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning, Breeze. Hey, guys. You know what bothers me more and more? Is I really be I really think the Republicans, when I say hit on this, you know, everybody knows what this is, and this is all the BS that's happening. But, you know, I, I, think, that were, I think that both sides are, are doing this to us. And I've listened to some of Trump's comments, and I really wondered 
And I hate to say he doesn't sound that smart, but sometimes he just don't sound that damn smart. And, you know, and he kind of says the same old, same old. But, I mean, right now, I really think, like, we're finding out that a lot of stuff leading up to the war in Ukraine, they were accusing the Russians of a false flag and all, but I think we were doing a lot of that. And I think the Republicans read on the team. And now they're talking about worldwide food shortages and all that other stuff. And then, the Repu- I mean, they're almost like two lawyers that they're going to pretend to hate each other in the courtroom, but then they're conniving behind both their clients' back for a settlement so they can both go play golf that weekend and, or go to the Masters together. I just, I've just got a bad feeling about both parties right now. And even my wife last night was saying, you know, I'm sick of both of these people. I'm sick of reading about Ted Cruz talking about how the world's coming to the end. I'm sick of the old the, the left saying they're crazy crap. The right, I mean, where the hell, I mean, and, and if you go right back down to it, the, every problem we're facing in the world is from politicians. It's not the people. It's politicians. Everything that's been screwed up in this country has been the politicians. And then we keep looking to the damn politicians, Republicans, and Democrats to fix it. And the SOBs have no desire to fix it. None of them do. I mean, you know, I mean, we need to get, we need to start raising that. You hear these guys say, be nice to your Republicans. The hell with that. They ain't doing a damn thing either. They know what's right. And they, so they, they got this intentional on their part too. I've, I've had it up to here with all, with both of them. I mean, if you really get a bunch of Democrats and Republicans in room, and, and get them talking, how sick are you of your Democrat politicians? Because I'm pretty damn sick of my Republicans, and I'm sick and tired of everybody saying, I love Trump, or I love DeSantis, or I love that old Lindsey Graham, or, or then, and then on the other side, you got these Democrats, oh my God, I got to get me a Kamala Harris t-shirt, or this other crap, or they love this Democrat, or love that Democrat. Man, we got to figure out somebody else to love other than a bunch of damn piece of crap politicians thank you breeze and the point i'm trying to make i want people in this movement that politicians are afraid of i mean they're afraid they're afraid of the masses i mean there's no doubt about it they know trump resonated with a large universe of supporters but i want i want people as a part of this movement that that politicians are afraid of um do you believe that a politician is afraid of elon musk you better believe it and i think breeze is spot on when he says um and I've, and I've said this many, many times about education and some other things. Um, let's use the dollar as an example. Um, Jerome Powell goes to Capitol Hill. And Jerome Powell's got to explain why he underestimated inflation. And Jerome Powell basically says, well, just give me a little more time. Just stick with me a little longer. You know, yeah, we got our transitory turned into permanent. And, you know, we underestimated. And, um, I mean, everybody knew what was going to happen except those people making those decisions, people in charge of the Fed and people within the federal government. Maybe they knew what was going to happen. I think they did, but they printed it anyway. They, they um, you know, the fiat currency phenom that brought on um, this, this crazy, crazy percentage of inflation. And it's not 7.2 or 8%. It's probably closer to 15 or 20%. I mean, that's kind of what the number is. I've got friends in the restaurant business. They're beginning to see a big decline in their business, and they, they're convinced the decline is you, the consumer, spending more money on gas and groceries. you got to buy gas. you got to buy groceries. You don't have to go out to a restaurant and eat, and that's the first thing you cut. So they're seeing a precipitous decline in business and revenue, and they're, they're not angry about it. I mean, they're frustrated with the government, not you for not going to the restaurant because they understand you're making a decision. You could fill your car up with gas for 30 bucks. Now it's 60 bucks. 
You go to the grocery store and spend 100 bucks. now it's $200. You just don't have the disposable income. You don't have the money to go out and eat on a Friday or Saturday night, and they're, they're suffering the consequences of that. Well, I mean, the, the government, they believe that they can dance around the edges and we can tweak and turn. See, I believe that we've got to obliterate, disrupt, and destroy. I mean, I sincerely believe the only way we address censorship in social media is must by 9.2% of Twitter. I mean, do you really believe we can picket Twitter, stand on their front doorsteps? I'll tell you, I, saw, I read an article last night. DeSantis is considering lobbying the federal government to take away Mickey Mouse patent. I mean, Mickey Mouse has a patent, and the patent gets renewed or not in 2024. And, and didn't we, I mean, isn't that kind of J.D. Vance? What are we going to do when we get in charge? I mean, are we going to take on some of these woke causes, some of these liberal causes, some of these socialist causes? Or are we going to sit down and, um, and try to debate? And uh, I know that's the way politics has to historically been conducted in, in America. And, and I'd love to get back to a place where a Democrat and a Republican can sit across the desk from one another and agree to disagree and come up with a, a reasonable compromise that's good for the American public. That ain't happening, guys. I mean, I'm sorry. We're, we're far past that. We're, we're, we're way down the road from believing that Republicans and Democrats can sincerely address some of the issues that challenge this, uh, this nation. I, I just think it's going to take obliteration, disruption uh, in a way that a lot of us are going to be very uncomfortable. And that's why I'm so optimistic when Teal intervenes, when Musk intervenes, because I think those are the kinds of people that can disrupt the political and economic norms. Let's go to the phone. Here is Rujan in Darlington. Good morning, Rujan. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I just had a, just, just been thinking this morning. It's going to come down. It's going to have to come down to people realizing just about, you know, how much power they have. I mean, we can, we can elect a representative and we can have our government, but the bottom line is the people have the power. And for some reason, and somehow, uh, the media and these leaders have convinced us that they have the power and we have to listen and do whatever they say. Um, you know, uh, the, the time of, you know, we're not going to be doing the Marie Antoinette thing anymore, you know, while, you know, let them eat cake while they, you know, eat steak. Uh, no, 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 it's, it's not going to happen anymore. People are getting tired of it. <clears throat> People are starting to wake up. And we're not gonna we're not gonna put up with these milk toast politicians anymore. We're tired of it. We're tired of we're tired of of, of, of paying you know three dollars plus for gas. We're tired of paying you know uh, four dollars plus for for bread and, and and things such as that. And it's, it's just getting ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And every issue, every situation that we have uh, that's a problem in this country has been caused by 435 individuals in in, in the House of Representatives and 100 individuals in the Senate and, and all the damn bureaucracy that they have up there in Washington. And, and it's just tired. The people need to just basically rise up and do what they're supposed to do, just just take our country back. And I've been saying it for years. You've heard me say it. Nothing's going to change until the white middle class, who's, who's the majority, wake up and say, I'm done with it. That's it. That's all, period. And now what's happening is, you know, like I said, my brother, he's in the middle class. He woke up. And he's 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 now straight Democrat for years and years. Now he's turned to Republican. These people, you know, have got us hoodwinked. And 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 uh, the the only way to to 
to uh, take care of that and, and, and get our minds back, get back in our right minds, is to let them, you know, know that uh, we're going to take them, put them right out the door. And that's it. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate that. We got to take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Hey, one last point from Teal. You ready? He talked about some of the ESG, the environmental social governance factors. Um, and, and he says it's a pure profit maximi- maximization um, effort, a hate factory. Um, he says that when you think of ESG, that's the environmental social governance factors that, uh, you know, it's the, it's the government regulating what business can and cannot do when it comes to some of the, um, some of the environmental, environmental issues and some of the social consciousness that corporations need. He said, don't think ESG, think CCP because he thinks communist China. Anytime Teal gets a chance to take a shot at China, he absolutely uh, emphatically does, uh, but, but it, Monday, I promise you, we got about 30 minutes and we got to get out of here. I'm leaving at 8. And we said it yesterday. We'll have a, a tape segment from 8 until 9. And then crying crazy Glenn Beck will be on from now. I say that hey. uh, with, with uh, affinity at heart. I mean, I, we, we we appreciate all the hard work that um our good friend does that follows us. Yeah, be nice to your colleague. That's what texted me yesterday. They said, well, you need to play Beck every hour. Why would you text me that? I mean, oh, that's why what? would you insult me uh, that way? But uh, been insulted before. Hey, Jay Jordan, House member is with us with the South Carolina General Assembly. And I want to tell you, all the the cowardly politicians ran to the basement, ran from the tornado. Jordan stood tall and conducted the people's business (laughs) fearlessly and tirelessly. On our, on our our constituency behalf. Good morning, sir. How Good morning. You? I just didn't want to get trapped in the basement. I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I couldn't yeah. think of a worse thing, especially listening to the radio on the way out here, getting trapped down there with, you know, 50 <laughs> or so politicians. I don't know if I, I was riding out here. My, my son Monroe is with me this morning. Ten, he's 10 years old and we're listening to the radio coming out. And uh, good morning, Breeze, by the way. And uh, he says, uh, you going on this show today? <laughs> wow. It's every day. This is every day. Yeah. Poli- I'm looking at Monroe now. But politicians are um, they're bad guys until they get here. And then they turn into good guys uh, once they do. I'm about ready to go to that basement. You, uh, right well, now. No, here. no, no, no. You and I have had multiple conversations. It's Washington. It's Washington, Washington, Washington that people have a burn their saddle about. They don't like everything you guys do in Columbia. They don't like everything the local school board or local uh, county council, city council do. But but I, I still believe, that, and I think the, the, the reason, Jay, and I'll let you elaborate on this, you guys can't deficit spend. You don't have a state reserve with a printing press in the, in the basement that um, some of the cowards hit in during the uh, during the tornado. <laughs> I mean, there's not a print press down there that allows you guys to just do whatever you choose to do. And I think that's the fundamental difference in the, I don't know, the emotions people express about the federal government and state government. We, we are a divided country. Uh, that's that's the reality in which we live. Um, you see the federal government and, and some states uh, turning left and further left. And just when you think you, they can't go any further left, they go further left. And then you see... States like South Carolina that we don't get it right. I'll be the first to tell you, we do not get it right. We do not get it all the way right all the time for sure. There's no doubt about that. But you see us trying to um, turn right. Uh, you see that through the, some of the things we've done just this year, some of the things we've done the last few years, whether that's trying to cut taxes uh, when we have uh, extra money in the system, uh, pass a uh, you know, gender sports bill like we did. That's that's one of those things we did this week that is hard to believe we would even have to do that. That'd be one of those Explain things. that bill if you don't mind. So everyone knows what's going on. We see the things on the going around the country where uh, someone, you know, doesn't like their gender, changes their gender. A, a man 
uh, says he's a woman now, and now he gets to compete uh, in uh, a female sport. The, the swimming is the latest one we've seen. Uh, totally unfair. Uh, as as a father of a 12-year-old daughter, uh, makes my blood boil. And the, the fact that you know my daughter could to train and give her life to to competing in a sport, whether it be swimming or going down the list, and then all of a sudden someone who's genetically bigger, faster, stronger uh, can say, you know, and go through this this chemical process, and now um, they get an unfair, a, a definitely an unfair advantage in that competition. It's just wrong, um, and and I'm not getting into that. I don't say that to be hurtful. Sure. I don't say that to be cruel, um, but it's unfair. It's and, common sense. Am I right, Jay? But at times, I mean, we can complicate politics as much as we choose to. And you and I have lunch occasionally. We like to think we know more than everybody. We complicate some of these uh, some of these conversations. But there's some things you simply say out loud, and, and, and your answer is, how can that be? The, the scary thing is, I'm not so sure how it is that it, that it is common sense. It's common sense as we sit around a room like this, and it's common sense maybe in South Carolina, but it's not common sense in, in every part of the country. But as much common sense as it is in South Carolina, how many members of the House voted against the bill? More than more than a handful. Uh, Did it, any it, Republican vote against the bill? I don't believe. Maybe one. Okay. Uh, if I if maybe may, I'm trying to remember because we had several. Um, we went through. I mean, amendment after amendment after amendment, and finally got on the bill very late into the evening. That's another thing. This is this bill. You would think even in South Carolina to go to your point about you know we don't or my point we don't get it right all the time. Even in South Carolina, this was not a bill. You say it's common sense that we had to. We simply rolled out one morning and passed. It failed in judiciary. My judiciary, the committee in which I served a couple of times, I voted for it both times, but we couldn't. It, it took us a while to actually get the bill to the floor. And when it finally got to the floor, um, several people, mostly Democrats, put amendment, I mean, hundreds of amendments on this bill. And it took us hours of debate to finally get to and pass the legislation that now goes over to the Senate. But do the Democrats in South Carolina believe that a man has a right to compete with a woman in sporting events? I'm, as as I'm we sit it. here, my 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 normal uh, no offense to human road, but my normal um, seatmate here, uh, gunslinger, I call him Philip Lowe. He texts me. Twenty eight people voted against that. Twenty eight people voted against the bill. I got to believe overwhelmingly Democrat. Yes, that's and, and here's my here's my issue, and I and you know I, I don't want Jay can say as much about this as he chooses to say, but um the 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 Democrat in South Carolina has allowed himself or herself to be influenced by the National Party. Correct. That there is no way a rural South Carolina Democrat represents a constituency that believes women shouldn't compete against other women and men shouldn't compete against other men. But the National Party has molded an agenda that that some of these Democrats are beholden to. I'd say it's a it's a blend. You've got some true believers uh, within that. You know, I think they're forty something Democrats of one hundred twenty four members of the uh, House of Representatives of South Carolina. That are woke. There, there are some true believers. I like to think I'm pretty conservative. I'm sure there's some people listening today that don't 100% agree with that. But if you look at the the scale and you look at my voting record, I'm pretty conservative. My seatmate, Philip Lowe, very conservative. I, I think we, we vote together about 99% of the time. There are members of the General Assembly, as conservative as we are, are the opposite, are just as liberal as we are. So you've got a blend of those folks. And then you've got some folks, I think you're right, that are that are sort of caught in the middle. And then you've got the minority of the minority, so to speak, that are some, that, uh, just a, a very handful of what South Carolina used to be made of a long time ago, sort of that yellow dog Democrat is still a very small, small group. Let's go to the budget, if you don't mind. Sure. I always felt my time on council, the most important votes I took was spending taxpayer dollars. Where are we in the budget? Crossover week, 
I got to believe is here uh, or around the corner, around the bend, uh, sooner than later. Kind of update me on the budget and and crossover week, if you don't mind. So the budget, of course, we passed in the house. Um, that I think was a good budget. Again, as you pointed out earlier, we are in a situation where uh, we don't deficit spend in South Carolina. We're required to spend no more than what comes in. And this year we had more money, lots more money. And 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 uh, we employed a. Um, and I give credit again to Representative Low, uh, Merle Smith, who's the chairman of Ways and Means, Speaker Lucas, under his direction. The, the, the well, there was a plan. There was a plan in place. We're going to take some of this money. We're going to give it back to the taxpayer. We're going to give a. We're going to cut taxes in South Carolina. We're in the process of doing that. So that takes some of that money off the table. We're going to put some of that money into reserves because just as the economy's humming now, I think we can all agree, if you're paying attention, uh, the economy's showing signs of slowing down. And, and if you've lived long enough, you've seen good times. And guess what you've also seen? You've seen hard times. Well, and the raising of rates is going to slow down the economy. It may address inflation, but it's going to cause a slowdown in economic activity. That's that's exactly right. Uh, and then funding what we consider core government functions, You know, making sure we're spending money on infrastructure. And uh, as, as I've talked about many, many times uh, before, uh, you can't get away from infrastructure. You need that for economic development. You don't have economic development. Your education is not going to do it. These things are all connected and, and all need to be addressed. We also put more money uh, to law enforcement. I'm, I know I've talked to several folks in the county. They're trying to do the same. Um, more money to teacher pay. The, those sort of core government functions and, and needs in government. Uh, the other thing this week, this past week, was crossover week. Okay. Uh, that's sort of an inside baseball thing, but it's a very important thing. If a bill uh, sits in the House and the Senate, uh, it's got to get from one body to the other by essentially had third reading yesterday, or uh, it's very unlikely that it will pass. That was why it was so important that we address uh, the gender sports bill this week and why we stayed on the floor and debated for hours and hours and hours to get that bill across the line um, because our rules and the Senate rules say if you don't get it crossed over uh, by this time on the calendar, it takes, I think, a two-thirds majority to actually even address the bill. So. Uh, there's a few little nuances that we can get to bills, and we will get to some bills that are still hanging out there, CRT legislation. I'm confident we're going to pass that this year uh, and some other important things. But that's kind of where we stand uh, right now. When it comes to the Senate, I mean, when I was there, the Senate did nothing and took pride in doing nothing. It's a little bit different now. It's it's a heavier – I mean, it's a more conservative Senate today than it probably ever has been. They do move – Philip Lowe said, Representative Lowe last week – uh, kind of gave the Senate a little bit of credit. You know, they tend to move a little bit faster than they previously had. Um, what do we anticipate the Senate to do with the House version of the budget? Well, so first off, I'm glad you brought that up. That reminds me, we, South Carolina got its newest senator this mm -hmm. week. Mike Rickenbaugh sworn in Tuesday. I've talked to him several times. He's doing, he's working hard, uh, doing his best to get up Drinking speed. from a fire hose. He, he, he said <laughs> that, and it, but he's he's there. He, he shows, uh, when I saw him, he showed up early and stayed late. So he's he's trying. Um, and it is a lot of information taken. I came in in the middle of a session, and I can tell you it is a difficult thing to, to you're learning uh, as you're, you're trying to you know sprint in a race and with a book in your hand trying to figure out what's going on. But that's going that he's working hard. Um, you know the, the Senate is is and is is and has changed in some degree. You're seeing them. Uh, I think it was a net three change this past two years ago when that when we elected the Senate. Uh, three Democrats took what were traditionally three Democrat or three Republicans beat what would be traditionally three Democrats seats. Uh, and that's made a difference. That was sort of what I see, see as the, the tipping point. And you're seeing them move a little faster because as you when you back when you served presiding over that Senate, uh, it probably was like watching paint dry. Um, but they're pa they're actually passing some legislation it used to be 
I, I remember my first term or two in the House, uh, we'd pass something that I think was just meaningful, that I, I would know would be meaningful legislation, and I'd be all excited. And everybody look around and say, why are you so excited that we've passed that three times in the last three terms and the Senate doesn't do anything with it? Now there's optimism that the House will send over conservative quality legislation and the Senate will actually, not that they didn't get, you know, they, they did do some things in the past, just not at the, the speed and the proficiency I thought they should in the past. Very interesting. I, it made me hungry. I mean, you're standing there presiding over a group of people who did nothing. There's nothing to do but think about food. I gained about 20 pounds presiding over that crowd that did nothing. Um, so I remember that. What, do we have a call? Okay, we don't have a call. Let's take a break. I'm going to ask Jay to hang around one more uh, minute or two. and um, But we will take calls. I mean, Philip took calls. Jay will take calls. If you've got something you want to ask your house member, 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Ashley in Poston's Corner. Hello, Ashley. Good morning, guys. Um, uh, great show as usual. Um, I'm going to make it quick because I know we don't have a lot of time. I just wanted to get uh, representatives' opinion on the low bonds that are coming out of uh, Florence Courts, uh, particularly what we talked about Monday, and how do we change that? And I'll take it off the air. Thank you, Ashley. You know, it's a very valid point. Um, we had a conversation Monday. I don't know if you heard it or I not. I was actually but, listening on the radio. Okay, okay. Um, about and, the drug bust yep. and the $50,000 yep. security bond and what would appear to be a serious crime, not such serious uh, bond. Yeah, no, I, I was listening on the radio. Um, I, I think the only way to really address that issue is probably a statewide uh, piece of legislation that sets a uh, a little more framework to the bond process where you look at uh, if an individual – uh, is charged with a crime that has a certain amount of exposure. You go to this block of consideration: a hundred thousand to a hundred to two hundred thousand bonds. Sentencing guideline reform. Uh, so, so, we, well, it's not sentencing because it's you you're know, right. No, you're right. no one's been you you're know, right. adjudicated innocent to prove you. That's right. exactly. Okay. And, and that's the balance of this situation: is this individual has been accused of a crime, not convicted of a crime. But at the same time, you know, you got an individual from Florida. Uh, who obviously has some means with with that, with with that scenario there three million dollars worth of drugs and a gun and a bunch of cash uh in my professional opinion as a lawyer there's a, a high probability that individual's never going to be seen around here again um you know they'll issue a bench warrant and yeah, hope to find him one day and, and he may pop back up in the system a uh, year two five uh, or never uh so it, it's absolutely that something needs to be addressed it's it's a system that probably needs to be looked at as a whole. We have, and we do have some really good magistrates here in Florence. Did they get it right 100 percent time? Absolutely not. None, nobody does. It, it's a, you know, it's a system that has its its definite potholes in it for sure. Um, but this is one of those areas that absolutely needs to be addressed. If you've got something like this, and, and again, I'm I'm not sitting in that chair um, trying to balance. This individual might not have had any criminal record. This, sure. you know, there might have been some other uh, situations I don't know. But based on that, um, in my professional experience, that's a dangerous situation. There are some people who have a problem with the General Assembly electing judges and, and magistrates. Um, f- uh, Representative Lowe made the point of billboards and people running for office. I mean, to be honest with you, if you took one side, I could take the other. I agree. If you take the other, I could take this side. I mean, it is a, it is a fundamental and very worthy debate. Now, magistrates is even a, even a different situation. I, you know, as a representative, I get a say in, in the circuit court, the court of appeals, and the Supreme Court. I do not get a say in the magistrate. That is purely the senator's. Um, they appoint uh, the magistrate. opinion. That's correct. Now, Senator Leatherman in the past, he would he would you know from time to time say. Simply me practicing law, you know. Do you know this individual? Do you, you have any knowledge of him? And I'd certainly give him an opinion. 
Um, but that, uh, and, and we have multiple center, senators in, that touch Florence County. While we have one resident senator, we have other senators that do also get to appoint um, magistrates. Now, when it comes to the election of judges in South Carolina, here's what I would tell you. It's, it's probably the best of all the bad ways to do it. You know, if, you, if the goal is to take politics out of it, I can go ahead and tell you that's just about impossible. Um, and I agree with what you said that we could argue both sides at this point. Probably I could take one. You could We could flip a coin. I could take a side and you could take a side and we'd probably come to a, a stalemate Correct. on either side. Um, but I'll go back to where I, what I said a minute ago, the best of all the bad ways. You know, I, I don't think we want a scenario where lawyers are, are pandering, uh, you know, with billboards, raising money, uh, trying to become judges, running for judge. I think that's a scenario that ends with you know, whoever gave the most to the campaign gets the best justice uh, or lack of justice. And in, in, in that same vein, um, how long does it take for um, a, a judge to realize I need the most amount of votes? That means I need to let everybody out of jail to try and get them. You know, those, th- that sure. kind of thinking is where that leads. The other issue is the, the governor appointment with the consent or advice of some sort with the legislature. That's probably the next uh, that's probably the next best system compared to what we have. The concern I have there is, again, you know, you're, it's a, a more narrow political process. Governors tend to award or reward population centers as someone who represents, uh, you know, an, an area that has, you know, Florence County. I've always said it's, it's a unique situation. We've got some a growing metropolitan area in Florence, but we've also got uh, a, a rural setting as well. And I care about that rural setting. I, I care about preserving that in South Carolina. I care about that voice being heard in South Carolina. So I don't like the idea of, you know, all the um, the voices being centralized in the Greenville, Charleston, Columbia type markets. So that's a concern I would have about that as well. Two minutes. Uh, we got to get out of here. Um, I'm a Gamecock. I care about the University of South Carolina. I got a daughter up there. Um, grew up a Gamecock, been a Gamecock all my life. I would always heard that the USC board was too political. When I got to Columbia, I realized what I'd heard was true. There was a lot of politics involved in that. There's been a uh, a longstanding conversation about reforming and changing the University of South Carolina Board of Trustees. You guys have passed legislation, if I'm not mistaken. Um, where is that legislation and what changes are to be made? So I, I agree with you. The board has had its struggles. We do have some really great people here in, in Florence and the PD that represent that board. Uh, and you know, they're doing their best to, to work within the confines of that system. But the structure of that system is difficult because it's such a big board. Most college boards, university boards are made up of congressional districts. This one's made up of uh, judicial circuits. 16. Correct. So it, it, it's a, a very cumbersome board. Uh, if you look at, you know, go, go to Columbia, look how difficult it is to get large groups of people, committees and so forth to agree. That's one of the things they've been struggling with. This legislation that's passed the House will convert it. Uh, down to about a 13-member board that has seven congressional districts, a couple government appointments, and then it preserves, I think, four seats to come out of rural South Carolina just so we do preserve that rural voice. And that's where we are. That bill is out of the House? That bill passed the House this week, now sits over in the Senate. Do you believe that bill will get passed before the end of this session? I think it's it's okay. got significant likelihood. Again, you know, it's no secret some of the struggles that the, the board is that the school has been through. And look, that's a difficult situation. That's the flagship university of the Correct. state of South Carolina uh, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone wants to, you know, be at, have a seat at the table, and it, it's going to have its moments. Okay. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. We'll get you and Representative Lowe. We're going to do this every Friday. We're trying to invite these guys, and, and we're going to take more and more calls. We would have done this in the 8 o'clock hour as we did last Friday, but somebody's got to leave early today. <laughs> um, so Jay was kind enough to come in earlier. I'm sure our gunslinging buddy will be back. Uh, 
next Friday because he enjoys his back and forth as you do. Thank we'll you very much. We'll have to get him some more callers. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. couple of minutes. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jim in Florence. Hey, Jim. Hey, I, I hate I just missed Jay. Um, and let me preface what I'm about to say with uh, this would be one of those times that friends just fundamentally disagree. But the idea that the process we have now of electing circuit court judges is that that idea is the most asinine idea I've ever heard in my life. Because look around. Ken, I, I don't let my wife pump her own gas in Florence, not, not because of some male chauvinist idea, but because I'm worried about thugs robbing my wife in Florence. We have violent crime run amok. So there's no – is crime a problem like it is here? Is it a problem in Texas like it is here? Is it a problem in Florida like it is here? So the first thing that anybody says about electing judges and the reason why the legislature should elect judges is they want to remove the pol- politics from it. So we're going to ask a bunch of politicians to elect judges, and that's going to remove the politics from it. No, let's give it to the people, and that removes the politics from it. Further, I think candidates running for judgeships and accepting – Hey, Jim, 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 you, you got to hold on to that. we got a hard break, top of the hour, and I'm out of here. We'll be back Monday. I'm sorry, Jim. We just don't have any choice. Best of segments hey, next enjoy hour. your weekend. Thank you, guys.